Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's an entrepreneur and the founder of Sea Roach Consulting. It's Caleb Roach. How are you doing today, Caleb? Good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so I'm actually from, um, I actually have a weird story. So I was born in Enid, Oklahoma, but my dad was military. And so about three months old, we moved to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And so born in Enid, grew up for in about for about 10 years in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and then actually moved back from Enid to Enid from Pennsylvania. And so technically, I was born in Enid, but raised in Pennsylvania. So a little bit of both, but um, I was a typical homeschooled weird kid. Uh, you know, being military, it was a lot easier for my parents to keep me homeschooled. So um, wasn't involved as much, did some sports, worked a little bit, kind of pursued some career interests early, got some internships. But Outside of that, just kind of some sports and nothing too exciting, unfortunately. <laughs> was it hard being homeschooled where you didn't have that interaction with people? Or was that a challenge growing up to have that interaction with other kids your age? It really wasn't too difficult. I credit my parents. They did an incredible job. Or I, I think they did. Maybe I'm socially awkward and horrible at talking with people. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but... I feel like they've done a, they did an incredible job of kind of teaching me how to interact with other people. So those interactions weren't too bad. You know, you, you kind of weigh the pros and cons and, you know, diving into the story later, there's a lot of pros to homeschooling and I'm definitely glad and want to look back, but sometimes it's a little bit harder because you look back and you never got to be, you know, get to be involved in prom or homecoming or be on the football team or some sort of big sports team. So there's some cons, but overall, definitely wasn't too difficult, um, you know, interacting with people and kind of getting connected outside of that. Definitely with homeschool, you had no distractions, really. When you were focusing on schoolwork with your mom or your parents teaching you, were you able to comprehend everything at a quicker pace than, you know, some students when they're in classroom, distractions, phones, everything nowadays, then is is it different or how would you compare it to yourself? Oh, it's way different. You can accelerate a lot more and definitely down the road, it it prepared me for kind of being a self-starter just because, you know, it's a lot of, you know, my parents were great at teaching, but they didn't have teaching certificates. And so they were kind of learning some of the advanced topics as I was and trying to comprehend them. And so it really prepared me on that front of learning how to kind of build things on my own and not just be fed things. Um, and then it also really helped me expedite things because during the day, we didn't have to sit through a 45 minute class and, you know, sit there and wait for other students to pay attention. So in the long run, you know, I was able to graduate high school early, graduate college because of that, come in with college credit. So there was a lot of acceleration that I was able to do. And hopefully I retained as much information as the typical, I mean, let's hope. <laughs> you talked about your parents not having teaching degrees. My mom was a teacher, but I don't think she could handle me as a student at that age being homeschooled because I was a wild child. And I think she's like, just send him off. Just let him be. He'll do whatever he wants nowadays, but it's kind of different because I went to college with a guy that was homeschooled and the way that he interacted with us was completely what we didn't expect. And he kind of was like let loose and his whole attitude and 
demeanor changed in a good way and he got to experience the world. He talked about playing sports. Was that a way to get out there and enjoy and being around people? And that helped you grow in skills. Oh, absolutely. So that was kind of the big thing that my parents didn't want me to be the as awkward homeschool kid as possible. And so trying to get me in extracurricular activities such as sports. And it was really good for team building kind of, you know, because you're not around a lot of people in, in homeschool. And so it was a great way to kind of be around people outside of the daily life, outside of school, um, and kind of build those like athleticism plus kind of the team building and like the actual, I guess, competitive nature. That's that's kind of the fun thing that you get to learn. And so I don't know your, if you were big into sports, but it was definitely a, a, a something to look forward to outside of school. And so you're, you're having to be a self-starter in school, but then in sports, you kind of have more of the motivation. You've got the coach to kind of push you. Um, to where it's not, you don't have to feel like your entire life is you having to do everything. No, that's so true. I think sports kind of builds characters in a way. It kind of helps those kids grow and learn all different life skills that they'll eventually need over time. And what were your sports that you kind of enjoyed doing? So I was a big soccer guy, like in the very beginning. Um, And then I actually transitioned into swimming. Swimming was kind of a fun little outlet for me, um, especially when we moved to Enid, Oklahoma. So I played, played soccer until I was like 10. Um, And when we moved, Pennsylvania has a lot of homeschool activities, a lot of like sports teams, soccer teams and everything. And when we moved to Enid, there really wasn't a ton of soccer, especially for homeschoolers. It's a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so swimming was basically swimming and golf. Eventually I started getting into golf as well. Those were the two sports that I could kind of do with that. I didn't have to be on a team, like a high school team, but I could still participate with others. And so I went from soccer to swimming to golf, which I'm still involved. I mean, not high school or competitive golf, but I always go on the course every now and then and, you know, try to shoot under a hundred and call it good. <laughs> my goal is just not to hit a window. I mean, hey, my ball just zoom. Everyone has their challenges, you know, and uh, you know, it probably saves you money, not hitting some windows. Th- that's true. I mean, I will, or if I did, I just run away. Okay. Like, ah, the cameras didn't see me. <laughs> did you ever think that you were going to play sports long-term or was it more just recreational at the time? Kind of a little bit of both. There's always the hope, I think, when you're younger that you're going to go become an athlete. Um, My parents didn't really push me, which I'm appreciative of. They didn't push me towards like you need to get a scholarship or you should expect it. There were were more of like get kind of be all like well-rounded around sports. And if it if you can go play, you can go play. Um, So I really identified that I wasn't good enough that to go for sports, unfortunately. And so it was more of a recreational get out. There was always that hope, like maybe I'll be good enough and just really didn't pursue it. Maybe I could have trained a little bit harder, but really wasn't a passion. Um, I was more into kind of career passions by the time I got to the age of, man, I should probably start taking this serious. And so I kind of, I still played some sports, but it wasn't, it was more on the back burner by then. Growing up with a military family, did were there sets of rules and restrictions in the things that you did in your family? Or do you think that helped you over time become who you are today? It was definitely structured. It wasn't the typical military household. You know, I credit, as I've said before, my parents, you know, they definitely weren't perfect, but they did an incredible job of kind of 
identifying structure to make sure that we didn't get into too much trouble. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't like 5 a.m. wake up call and you know, <laughs> we have to, our beds have to be perfectly, um, you know, laid out and we have to salute every time and call them sir. And so there was definitely parts of structure that we kind of learned and it definitely helped. It was definitely an adjustment, you know, especially when my dad would go on deployments because, you know, he was out for three to six months at a time. And it really wasn't, you know, as bad as it could have been, but it's still an adjustment kind of learning, you know, Hey, my dad's gone. And especially at kind of the younger years of kind of adjusting. So you kind of learned a little bit of self-independence of, you know, kind of being definitely not the man of the household, but kind of learning, like, how do I support my mom and my brothers um, and kind of like come together and kind of, you know, come, come through this hard time. And so, there was a little bit of both, a little bit of structure, but it wasn't like a dominant or a um, very strict household. So as you were getting older, we always are asked the question, what is your dream job? When you were growing up, what was that dream job for you? Ooh, you're you're going to laugh at this. So I really wanted to be a lawyer. Um, okay. So completely different from what I'm doing now, but I really thought it was such a cool job. You know, you go in and the way that I had seen it from the very first couple of years is you go in, there's nothing really to it. You walk into the courtroom, everyone's silent. It's the, the, the moment of, you know, you put the, the argument out for 30 minutes about why your client's guilty or, you know, why the corporation or whatever. And then the case is decided you win and, it's a great life. You make a lot of money. It's not a lot of work. And, um, you know, it's a pretty, pretty simple life and you get to do a lot of fun things. Um, and then I actually interned for a criminal defense attorney um, who at the time, not at the time, but he had represented a, a couple big criminal cases here in Oklahoma City. And so I got some really good on the job experience and learned that law was definitely not for me. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more backend information and you have, you spend probably 90% of your time actually writing 30 page documents that back and forth calling counsel and you only spend maybe 10% of your time uh, in a courtroom. And so, uh, you know, seeing that plus seeing the amount of work that attorneys do, you know, you like to think that it's 40 hours, but I've seen a lot of attorneys at work you know, 60 to a hundred hours and that's not even enough for them. So that was kind of my, what was yours? The way that you were explaining that, I'm like, oh, he probably watched a TV show and thought being a lawyer <laughs> was like that. I'm like, no, that's completely not. So for me, it was always to be a game show host. I don't know why I just enjoyed it. And like we were talking before, I got to interview a few game show hosts that I actually watched and I guess you can kind of say I'm doing some kind of hosting gig without it not in game shows but my own little hosting gig so I'm still living that dream in a way hey you followed your dream unlike me <laughs> <laughs> hey you never we're, we're both young we can get you can get back into being a lawyer you never know nowadays <laughs> like maybe I'll change my uh, direction and become a, a, a host or something maybe you've, you're onto something hey Come join the fun. I mean, (laughs) the way that I can explain it, it's probably more like a TV than anything. Fair. No, I like it. (laughs) So as you were going to college or taking your education even farther, what were you pursuing? Because you talked about doing that internship, but did you ever change that direction? And what was that new direction? 
Yeah, so I pivoted. So um, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer um, and I started with criminal defense. And that was probably about a year and a half ago, a year and a half before I started college, maybe a year. So I was taking concurrent classes at the time, kind of preparing to go to college. And they had an office down in Oklahoma City that I was planning on kind of moving down to. And so I ended up moving down there for college uh, for marketing. Um, I'll back up in a second, but so I went to college for marketing, started working for the same firm in Oklahoma City just to have some money and kind of support my life. And then my sister-in-law actually, um, they had a, actually, let me back up. So I'm going to school for marketing. I'm in my first semester. I'm working for this attorney. And I've always, one of the, the things that my sister-in-law, who's an attorney, had told me was, law schools look at your resume and they look at extracurricular activities. So you have to stand out from the crowd. And so something that she mentioned that she had done that was really good for her was she studied abroad. And so for me, I love other countries. I, you know, first stint lived in Italy when I was a little bit younger for a, a small period of time. And so I decided to move over to England for a semester, my second semester of college, I stopped working for the criminal defense attorney and it kind of allowed me to kind of identify what I wanted to do. You know, I worked 40 hours plus a week because I was homeschooled from the time I was 15, 16 through now I'm at like age 18. Um, So I'd had a couple of years where I'm already working full time. So it was a great break for me to kind of step back and say like, what do I want to do? What do I see my future as? And so that's when I kind of identified that I've been doing some and I call it marketing for the law firm, you know, for the criminal defense attorney. It really wasn't good marketing. It was just thinking <laughs> that I was good at it. So I designed this really cool website. I, I, I borrowed a camera from someone, took a couple photos. I saw the website actually like last month and I hope it gets deleted from the internet one of these days. But um, it was a really good passion project for me to kind of identify like I really like business Law really isn't the direction I want. Maybe I want to go into marketing. So I got back from uh, Manchester, England, where I studied abroad and started working for my sister-in-law just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do, get some extra income. Um, And that's when I kind of stepped into a role with a real estate company doing their marketing and operations. And so at that point, now I've fully pivoted towards marketing. I'm getting my education in marketing. So that's when the really big pivot happened of, like I've identified, I really don't want to do law. I probably shouldn't stay in here longer than I want. And so I need to kind of pivot and prepare myself professionally, especially in the workforce to where when I graduate, I have some experience. I think you brought up a great example because I think a lot of people, they go into college thinking, I'm only going to do this. I only want to do this. And college and that kind of experience gives you the opportunity to try out so many different things. And you were able to try something new and found a new passion. And then you started going into that direction, still knowing that I enjoyed learning about being a lawyer, criminal defense, but it's just not for me at this time. Talk about that study abroad trip. Why did you pick Manchester and what's the biggest takeaway you got out of it? Well, there's a lot of those. So I chose Manchester because my college at the time, um, they only had a couple, like they had a lot of universities to go to, but a lot of them were in like very interesting com- countries that I really didn't want to go. Um, there was a couple like Korea and Japan and Um, I really wanted to go somewhere where I could speak the language and not have to learn an entirely new language. Mm -hmm. And then I could kind of have home base where I feel a little bit at home and then kind of branch out from there. 
So I chose Manchester because it was really the only English speaking country that mainly was there. So um, I chose to go there and I learned a lot about myself and a lot about a different culture while I was there that I don't want to say I was enlightened, but it was a really eye-opening experience for me that there's, we get, you know, in the U S we get stuck in our own little bubble and we think that we're like the only ones alive kind of. And so when you step out in other cultures and see how they view things, it's just an incredible experience. And so one of the things that really stands out to me, I, I mentioned to you this when we were talking, not before this, but in some messages. And I, one of the biggest things that I remember was um, I moved into my, in, I, I was really excited to get over to England. Like I was just ready to get over there. I just turned 18. Like this is huge. So I planned my trip to get there like three to five days before I actually moved into my like student accommodation. And so I've always heard of hostels. My parents had stayed in hostels. It really didn't sound too bad. So I fly over. It's a long flight. I don't know a single soul over here. And like, you know, you have to get internet to talk to people. And so I like arrive, I'm groggy. I get my bags. Like I have all my possessions for three months. I have some cash just in case I have my credit card, all that. And I remember getting to my hostel, like trying to find a ride, figure out where to go. And I get to my hostel and it's not as nice as I hoped. Like they said, like there's lock storage and all this. (laughs) And the lock storage was someone that was like, oh yeah, let me unlock that. Here's your key. Just take the key and just open it up. And I I can have full access to the suitcases. And so here I am and I have my laptop, my passport. Like if I don't have those things, I'm done. Like if I lose my passport, it's going to be a world of getting back. And so I just remember sleeping at night, like the first night I did not sleep. I had a little fanny pack. So I'm like, you know, get in my bed. I've got my luggage like right under my bed, just very concerned. And then I've got my fanny pack and I'm holding on to it. Cause it's got like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, like a thousand dollars worth of cash, my credit card, my passport, and I'm, I'm holding on to it. Can't sleep. And so um, it was a really eye-opening experience of like, holy cow, life is a lot different here. Like I need to be better at preparing. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway I learned from it was there's a lot to be said about developing relationships in like when you're taking opportunities like that. And so, you know, depression is a big thing when you go overseas, you don't know people. Manchester is a very cloudy city. All of us had to buy like these light lamps so you could see sunlight. So like you got vitamin C and weren't depressed. And so it was very lonely. And I actually stumbled upon two guys um, that became really good friends of mine. One was from North Carolina and one was actually from England. We were in the same apartment complex, same floor, got to know each other. And it was really good to have those people just to kind of talk with, and especially a local because I played soccer. And so he would, he had a car. So he would take us over to like a local soccer stadium, go play, you know, like some little small place. And then at the same time, he knew the local spots, where to go. And so we would go to soccer games. And so one of the biggest things was just learning how to connect with people that in a, in a community that you don't know what it's like um, and develop those relationships to where, I mean, it's been several, several years now, at least five years since then. And we still, I guess, four, four years. And we talk probably monthly, just catching up and FaceTiming. And so it's really cool having those relationships where, you can kind of grow from and they keep you accountable, like, you know, keep you happy, like make sure everything's good. 
But at the same time, after that stage of life, it's still, they're still friends. Having those connections, did it help you be able to focus on your, I guess the classwork? I don't, I've never done study abroad. Or if you didn't have those people there to kind of connect with and enjoy your time even more, do you think it would have been a lot different mentally for you? Oh, absolutely. I probably, I probably would have gone back early just because it's such a mind game. You know, it's, it's an eight hour difference. So by the time you wake up, everyone's asleep by the time everyone's kind of waking up you're almost ready to go to bed and so it's just like you don't have a lot of people to talk to traveling alone sounds fun until you do it a couple times and it gets really boring and so it's great having those people to travel and even like the little things of it'd be a Wednesday night we go to the pub and have a drink and food and watch a soccer game and those little moments as I've learned in life really mean a lot and so those little moments I mean even we were in a pub once and my, our friend from North Carolina, there's these like frat guys that come in that, you know, they look like the frat bros. And so we're like, these guys are American. We know this for sure. So we, we talked to them and the, one of the guys, the group grew up a street over from our friend from North Carolina in the same town, same city. And they're like, Oh yeah. So-and-so street we know. And so seeing how tight knit some of these things are and how you like run into these people it really makes these connections just valuable and it really helps your mental health. Cause it's like, man, these people are, I don't know them very well, but they can support me and at least walk through these things that they're walking through as well. Especially with the different countries, the age, like what you do at certain ages is different, especially you can be over there in England at 18 and drink at a pub. But when you're here in the stage, you got to be 21. How was that experience for you knowing that in England, your age being young is different than what your age would be and what you can and can't do in the United States. It was definitely a challenge, you know, because it's like this whole new freedom that you have. You're in a country that you don't know, like a bunch of people. And so it's easy to fall into that, like drinking a lot. And I definitely did that a little bit. You know, you kind of learn like, wow, I'm drinking a lot of alcohol. <laughs> and so <laughs> there is a lot of lessons learned of like, man, I don't feel well to see like this morning I woke up. I'm not used to a hangover. Like, what is this? And so you learn very quickly, like, okay, maybe I cut down on this because it's just accessible and it's normal, especially in the English culture of drinking pretty heavily. And so um, it was definitely a learning experience for a while between that difference of it was really nice to be able to go to the pub and have a beer. But at the end of the day, it's like, what difference does that make in my life of having a beer versus a Coke? And (laughs) is it worth the extra pound? I mean, I gained a lot of weight, not a ton of weight, but some weight when I was in over there. It's like, is it worth the weight gain? Is it worth waking up with a headache some mornings? Like, probably not. (laughs) Since that trip, have you always planned on going back to England as more of a tourist and enjoying it that way instead of going as a study abroad student? Oh, absolutely. And there's, I mean, the one thing that I was, was interesting to me was when I came back, I, I traveled to a couple of different countries. I got back and I was like, man, I wish I had traveled more to different countries or experienced more. And so it's always been a goal of mine to always like visit there every couple of years, go see it as a tourist, look back and say, man, there's why my hostel that I, I slept in. Like, I can't, I can't believe that. And there's the place that I lived and there's the college campus. And so what's even more special is now that, you know, I'm married and we have a, a son, like it'll be fun taking them back and showing them like, 
this is where I live. These are the places that we visited. And it's kind of special because it's like those memories that you don't want to experience again sometimes, but it's like, you know, it's fun going back and saying, man, that was a really hard point of life, but it was fun. And now I'm not in that stage of life anymore. (laughs) Talk about the experience. You mentioned that you worked with your sister-in-law. Did kind of cause family dynamics in a way if you weren't doing something correctly or did your wife kind of just say, you guys deal with it yourselves? <laughs> it was it was definitely so me and my wife had started dating at the time. And it was a really good learning moment for me of there's a really valuable lesson to learn when working with family. But we definitely learned that it's better not to work with family. And so <laughs> you know, it was it really wasn't horrible. There was no war, you know, no screaming, no yelling. But it was definitely a different dynamic. You know, if something happened at work, I forgot to do something or work wasn't at a point where she wanted going to a family gathering. It's a little awkward because you're like, man, I wonder if she's thinking about this or, you know, I feel like a failure here. And so that's where I really only worked with them for a couple months just until once I found that job. And so it definitely was a good learning lesson. But for me, I determined that it probably wasn't the best thing to work with family. It was an incredible opportunity and I learned a ton from them and they, they were awesome to work with. I just learned very quickly that it probably wasn't the best. (laughs) So what was next for you? What was that next path? Yeah. So I actually worked with a real estate company um, or like a, a team here in the local area. And I kind of did their general admin stuff. So contract work, I got my license just so I could understand the process. And then I was kind of in charge of helping them market the business better. So I got a little taste of marketing and operations as a very small business. So I got to be involved, not heavily, but kind of involved in the overall operations. So the PNL and learning a little bit, I didn't have, I didn't have all the responsibilities of the world because I was pretty young, but I got to learn a lot about owning a small business and that was a really good challenge in my life because as we progressed, um, they offered me a really incredible salary for my age. So we were able to, as me and my wife, we were in the stage of getting married. So I proposed a little bit after taking the job. We're in the middle of getting married and we decided to buy a house. And so here we are and I'm working, love my job, buy the house. We're about to get married and I start not liking this job. And so I'm like, kind of, it's, it's very stressful and it's kind of turned into more responsibility than I want. I haven't gotten a pay raise in a year. I'm starting like all these thoughts in my head are like, man, I probably need to either have this discussion or go in a different direction. Now, the problem was I didn't have my college degree yet. And so here I am, I I'm making more than I probably should at the time. I have this salary, I have health insurance, and I'm not going to be able to get this anywhere else until I get my degree. And so here I am doing this. So I I go for another six months, we get married and still not happy. My performance is kind of going down just because like satisfaction is not there. I'm kind of getting frustrated. And so me and my wife had gotten married September 1st, like of that year. And the first week of January, a couple months after we got married, we have our mortgage. We we're still young. So we don't have a huge savings net. And the first Friday of January, my boss comes to me and lets me go on the spot. Oh, and so, you know, that's a little bit hard hitting. Cause it's like, man, I've got this fam. I got my wife, my new wife, my, mo- we got a mortgage. I don't want to like 
ever miss a payment on my mortgage? What do I do? And so I'm still in school. I've got seven months until I graduate or six months until I graduate all these stresses. And um, so that's kind of where I started my little side business, my marketing business. And I was actually able to be connected through some of the connections I made through some really awesome people that helped me survive until I graduated. So they paid our bills. I did some side marketing work, didn't make a bunch of money, but it paid our bills and it survived. But at that moment, we also found out we were pregnant. And so it's like, keeps compounding where it's like, holy cow, like this is no game anymore. Like this is serious. And so our son's due in October. We had just, you know, we have our mortgage still, we don't have a ton of money. And so thankfully at the end of it, um, when I graduated college, one of my last classes, we had um, someone from corporation called Sonic Drive-In. I don't know how how many they have there in St. Louis, but I'm sure they have some. Oh yeah. Uh, They're awesome. (laughs) I was in a course and she came in and spoke about Sonic Drive-In. They had a partnership and relationship with Sonic. Well, my professor knew my situation. And after that, after she came in and spoke, they had a job off like opening. And so she actually referred me to that lady and I got connected and actually was offered a position with Sonic Drive-In. So here I am. And it's like a better salary than I had made before. We're comfortable. Like we're no longer just wondering where our next mortgage payment is going to come from. And so now it's like life is comfortable. It's, it's kind of nice. And so got put into a market research position there where we help develop new products that were going out to the, the market. And so um, they had a culinary team that we would work with to develop new products that were coming out. And so um, that was kind of our, like we had a really weird challenge spot and we got through this point where now it's kind of comfortable. Um, and then for the next two years, I still had my side business that I kept growing. So I kept growing that building up my client base kept working for Sonic that transitioned into Inspire Brands, who owns a lot more companies, uh, Jimmy John's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Mm -hmm. uh, Dunkin' Donuts. And as I progressed into that position, it's kind of the same opportunity. um, It became a lot more, a lot more travel wise. So we would travel, you know, to different parts of the country. And that became a lot because here we are, it's October, we have a nice salary, but here I am, we had our son and I'm traveling, you know, twice a month at least for a couple of days. And so my wife's exhausted. I get home, I'm exhausted, but she's more exhausted from the baby. And so trying to manage that family dynamic. And so that was right before COVID hit. And then COVID hits and I get to work from home for a year. Um, And so that was a great adjustment as I'm building my side business. So we go throughout this, build my side business. And January of this year, I went to my wife and I said, I'm making more on my side business, my marketing consulting business, and I am full-time at this company. What would you think if I went on my own, (laughs) started a business? (laughs) And so she was fine with it. And we ended up, um, I ended up putting my two weeks in and February 1st, I officially went on my own and have been on my own ever since. So long story to say, there was a ton of different challenges in there, still have lots of them, but a cr- kind of a crazy story just compounded on itself. 
I want that Sonic job because I feel like I would be in that kitchen with those people creating like masterpieces and stuff. <laughs> like everything would be sold out everywhere. You know, it was all, it was really cool seeing the creative process that these companies use that it's really a lot of people think like Sonic, it's a cheeseburger, but the amount of effort yeah. that they, that they put into it of like looking at the saltiness and how long cook time is like, there are so many things at play that people don't see on the front end that it's incredible because it's a culinary process and you get to eat a lot of food in the process. So obviously there's a lot of, of, of weight gain that comes with, it <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying all these burgers and you get filled up pretty quick. So maybe, maybe you should be next in line. I could refer you to, a, you know, if you're looking for a new job. <laughs> I mean, I see their commercials all the time and you kind of talked about it, like the culinary process and they've done really a good job marketing kind of like how everything is prepared in a way. Yes, we know it's fast food and a lot of these fast food places are kind of changing it because we all kind of know what really goes on behind the scene and more of the, I mean, was it Burger King now is taking out all, most of their ingredients because it's either high in fat, sodium content, things like that, and going into more like real food. I mean, that's weird to say real food, but like more products that are kind of healthy and not going to be too high in fats and oils and stuff like that. But it's just, it's it, you, unless you're working in those companies, you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Oh yeah. And we even had like, you know, different discussions about that. Like there are, it's funny to think, you know, after seeing those experiences, a lot of people think like fast food, all they want is to maximize profit margins and they're, they want to put junk out, but it's really interesting to see like the amount of like actually healthy ingredients that get put in there. Yeah. And it's kind of skewed by the people that are creating it, you know, maybe a cook at a drive-in that isn't as experienced. And so they give you like a, half finished product and you're like, Oh, but actually seeing the products and the, you know, the creation of the products, it's really a, a fine art is what I would say. I mean, maybe not, maybe, maybe it's a little bit less than that, but it, it seems like a fine art of like, I feel like I'm at a Wolfgang puck restaurant here, you know, like yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe not on that level, but there's maybe no Wagyu on the menu, but yeah, you know, there is a triple, triple cheeseburger on there that, you know, it's, Maybe not the best for you, but <laughs> if McDonald's came out with a Wagyu beef burger, um, that's game changer right there. I know. Maybe maybe it's like A5 too. It probably wouldn't fit the price target though. That <laughs> no, definitely not. It's only gonna cost you a dollar. Up, oh, they just <laughs> lost all their profits on that burger. <laughs> Let's backtrack and talk about when you kind of were going through that six six months of stress with kind of like not having the job and waiting. Talk about your relationship. Did you guys become stronger or was there kind of some tension going on at the time? And how did that help or kind of make you work on that relationship? Oh, there's a lot of tension. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was definitely, we got out of the honeymoon stage pretty quick, um, which was a good thing because in the long run, it definitely brought us closer. um, And looking back, you know, our struggles now, we can kind of look back and say, like, we're very grateful for the opportunities that we have. And we can identify the struggles that we had versus now and kind of quantify and qualify that, like, obviously, certain things come up that are worse or better, but we can kind of look back. So in the moment, it was definitely hard because I'm sitting here and like for marketing consulting, I mean, I was telling people like, I'll run your social media, I'll, you know, create marketing materials and I'll charge you like 200 bucks a month. 
and I'm, you know, grossly underselling myself. And so I'm barely like getting clients, trying to get as many. I'll build you a website for 200 bucks. My hosting fees were 200 bucks a year. So I've made no money or 400 bucks. I'm making 200 for 20 hours of work. And so it was like this mentality of like, holy cow, kind of like scringing, scrounging, whatever we could get. And so it definitely caused a lot of heartache on our part, just, and especially as she's pregnant and going through that of like, for her, the sense of security was gone. You know, how are we going to provide for this kiddo that we're bringing in the world? And for me, it was like, my wife is mad at me. I don't know how to bring in more money. Like, do I go work at a job and work hundred hours a week? Like, what do I do? And so there was a lot of learning lessons. So in the very short term, it caused us to kind of pull apart, but in the very long term, I, I think we really strengthened our relationship because we went through that tough stuff so quickly in our relationship. You know, it wasn't the, oh, we're going to be in the honeymoon phase for a year. And then we have a really tough, like second year. Like it was like year one, we're going to the lion's den, like sharks are coming. Like, what do we do? And so um, it was in long, short term, just kind of difficult, but in the long term, it was definitely worth like everything. In your life, you had a kid, you were married quickly at a young age. Were you prepared for all of that? Or do you feel that everything happened for a reasoning and you kind of, it's kind of helped you learn more about you and kind of help you grow as an individual? I thought I was prepared. Um, (laughs) I wasn't. So, you know, in life, I kind of like to expedite things as much as possible. And I try to be tactile, like in the things I do, but sometimes I move a little bit faster than I can keep up with. And so um, it was definitely a good kind of self-awareness thing for me to learn that, you know, all this stuff has been really awesome. And I thought I was prepared for it, but you can never be prepared for certain things like owning a business. You never think certain things you wouldn't think are an issue until they become an issue. And you're like, I was not expecting that. And so um, I thought I was prepared, but I truly was not prepared, but it's, it's grown me as an individual. I think going through challenges kind of, you know, it molds you into the type of person that you really need to be or want to be and having those challenges. It's really how you respond to them that kind of teach you how to get through them. And so in the moment, it feels like you're only going an, on an uphill battle. You know, you're climbing this mountain and it, like trying to look over it. You can't see over it. And it's like, man, this is tough. This is tough. I'm climbing and I don't see the bottom. And as soon as you get over them, it's like, I conquered this mountain. I looked down, I climbed this massive mountain that I didn't think I could do. And here I am, like, it was so worth it. But as you're climbing, it's like, man, this is not easy. I I really just want to go back down the mountain, like call it good. Like I'm, I, I've climbed halfway up. Like, this is great. This is all I need. But it's those like moments where you think you're prepared, you realize you're not, and you push through those moments where you actually learn a lot more than you thought you knew. Starting a business during this pandemic, a lot of people have found that passion to do that. What's the biggest challenge you have faced during this time? Ooh, so my personality is I... I like to give more than I get. And so, you know, when it comes to invoicing people, it's a, it's a topic that I absolutely do not like talking about. So when I started my business, I was very lenient on, oh, it's been like three months. 
you don't have to pay or like take your time or like, you know, so I had clients getting back and behind and they caught up or they, you know, eventually. But what I realized was I was putting my family through a lot because, you know, while I value my services and I want to take care of my clients and understand their needs, if I don't invoice properly and I hold back payment, I'm not only hurting myself, but I'm hurting my family because I'm putting us in a tough position. And so for me, being kind of a pushover personality, I've learned that you really can't, you know, you have to be lenient, but certain things like invoicing or really understanding your value or pricing or all the different things that come with owning a small business, you really have to stick to your guns and understand your value of like, this is who you are. This is what you're doing. And people are hiring you. They're not hoping to hire you. They're hiring you. And so if they're putting their trust in you and making that commitment, you can stick to that value of, I can send invoice every month. I know I'm getting paid Mm -hmm. and I know the value that I'm providing. Now we talked about the challenges. What's the biggest reward or positive you've gotten out of this experience owning a business during this time? So working from home during COVID and pre that kind of traveling a lot, I really like the first six months of my son's life, I got to spend some quality time with them, but it really wasn't as much as I wanted to. And so having the flexibility that I can spend a lot better quality time with my family is huge. And so whether that looks like, you know, if he has something at 2 PM, like a doctor's appointment, I don't have to worry about taking off. I can block that on my calendar and I can really focus on him or try to, it's a struggle, (laughs) you know, letting work go away. But um, being as involved with my family as possible was probably the biggest benefit that I've had. Not only is it a a great monetary benefit to control your income and have that opportunity of gaining and losing clients based on what you want, but it's being able to control my schedule as best as possible around my family, accommodate them and their needs before someone tells me you have to be here or you have to tell me when you're not showing up for from eight to five, we have to ask time off. And so for me, that's my biggest reward. What does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next couple of years? So I've kind of hit a big milestone for myself. So here in December, I'll be graduating with my master's in business administration. And so for me, I, I really like the educational piece. And so that was kind of another milestone in my life of getting a master's degree and having that achievement. Um, honestly, I'm trying to determine what I want to do next. Um, I've, I've thought about going and getting my PhD in marketing. I've always thought consumer behavior and kind of the science behind it is really intriguing. Um, recently, our, aid, our, our cons- my consulting firm has kind of hit a, a really big growth spurt. And so we've tried to manage how that works, whether we grow with the growth spurt or we kind of control it and maintain slower growth to make sure that we don't burn a bunch of bridges. And so we've been kind of in this weird spot where trying to identify like, what is the next step? You know, do we grow extensively? Do we stay at the size we are? How do we serve clients the best way? How do we, how do I keep family dynamics the same? You know, family has been a big thing for me. So how do I keep that? And then what does it look like? You know, what, do I, do I keep clients and go get a PhD or, so there's a lot of different questions that um, I have to decide in the here in the near future, but um, 
who knows what the next steps look like, honestly. <laughs> aren't, you, the best thing. aren't you tired of classes? Like I got my bachelor's degree. And I'm like, unless I have to get my master's, I'm not going back at you all. Know, there's times that I wonder why I did it. And then there's times that I'm like, man, this is kind of cool. And it's the same thing with the challenges. You know, you look back and it's like, you spend a lot of time at night doing homework and like yeah. sometimes you're like, man, this is exciting writing a paper about consumer behavior or marketing strategies. But at the end of the day, you look back and like, man, that was kind of hard. But then you get through it for a year and a half to two years and it feels like it flew by, you know, past year and a half that I've been in this program, it's gone by like a blink of an eye. And like in the moment, it didn't feel like that. But looking back, it's, it feels, did your bachelor's degree feel like that? It feel like it went by quick. I was a sports management major and like I wanted to do stuff with sports and stuff. And I, a lot of the time with the sports management, it was kind of like fun classes. Like we worked a flag football tournament and that was basically your class was how do you prepare for this? How do you set it up? And then your final is basically like two weeks before and it's actually putting on that tournament. And then you had like an event management class where your class is learning how to put on an event and then you're basically putting on the event. So it, though it was enjoyable, but it went by so fast. And I look back now because it's been a couple of years since I've been in school and I'm like, I miss those times in a way. Those classes, not accounting. Uh-uh, ain't doing that again. Not doing my business law class, except I took sports law and that was a lot more fun than business law. I will say that. But I think if I went for a master's, it's got to be something that I'm like truly passionate about because if I'm going to be working and then going to classes and then doing the show on top of it, I got to enjoy it because I don't want to feel like, oh, it's another stressful night for myself. So yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Then again, you never know. I could change my mind in five years and be well, like, oh, I'm going back. So have you determined what the future looks like for you? So I always try to do things to grow as an individual. The show has been one of those things that helped me because every interview I do, I learn something about myself. And each time I try to incorporate that into my life. Work-wise, I'm always trying to grow, branch out into different avenues. Um, I'm in marketing. So every time we kind of have that similarity with passion and marketing, and I always try to see how can I go back into sports because that's my home. I know a lot about the sports marketing field, but it's challenging to get there. So I'm kind of taking like that long path to get it. And I know with my mind, I'm going to get there. I just don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm not going to stop myself. I'm going to rise to the challenge. Yeah. So did that, um, did the NIA rules or whatever it was with the whole athletes, did, has that changed your mindset on maybe going towards more athlete based marketing? Are you talking about the whole that they get paid now? Yes. So kind of, I think it makes these colleges and companies work a lot more because there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes, but I think it's going to help the athletes and the companies and the colleges because it's brand exposure, basically like, Oh, you're on a, you're like, if they came out with those college football, the EA sports games, Oh, that school's on the cover. Okay. Now they're going to get a lot more money because that player is on there. That player is going to get a lot more, but I think there's a lot of pros and cons to it. And if you were in my classes, that was a conversation every single week was should college athletes get paid? And now <laughs> it's finally happening. It's only been years after I graduate, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the teams, like a lot of people go to sports teams, but the way that they want you to get into the teams and stuff is just not the avenue I want to. Like, I want to really get into like the marketing, the events, the corporate partnerships, because I have all these experience, but I just don't want to do ticket sales. I think my skills can be a lot more put in <laughs> use than ticket sales, in my opinion, but that's just me. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'll buy one from you if you become, hey. start go hit me up. So you want a season ticket pass where you get yeah, all great. 162 yeah. games? Can we do objection handling on the phone too, right here while we're at it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I had that job and I'm just doing my sales pitch. Yeah, yeah, you actually you got me on this podcast. It's actually a season ticket. Uh, you know, it's actually a a, a con to get me on. You're like. He doesn't host a show. What the yeah, hell is yeah. he talking about? It comes on. The podcast is fake. He created fake content just for me. So I feel kind of special. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Ooh insightful question here. Hopefully I can answer it and hopefully I can provide some value. Um, so for me, because I'm still pretty young, I'm, I'm 22 years old. So I, when it comes to, you know, giving life advice, I don't <laughs> fully qualified, you know, I've had some great experiences, but I'm not the 35 year old that's looking back and has been in the business for 13 years. But from what I've learned so far, it's, um, and recently I've kind of been going through something where, um, stress is a big thing that I think people don't look at. And so, um, I've been going through some health issues because of stress to where, um, stress has been, been a big part of my life for the past four years. And I've kind of operated on stress. And so what I think is important for business owners and something and people just going through life with the challenges that you're facing, I think it's important to step back and really be open to examining maybe spots where there's stress in your life and where it's kind of hindering you from moving forward. And so for me, um, it's kind of identifying where that life, where, where my ideal life is with my ideal income, with my ideal family time and not being afraid to take steps back. Maybe I you know, pull back a little bit or, future plan and look where that is. And so I think it's easy with TikTok and social media. And I was having a couple conversations yesterday about this with some friends. It's really easy to compare your life with someone. Mm-hmm. See, they're a 24-year-old business owner. They say they have a million dollars in revenue. They look like they're doing so well. But I truly believe that a lot of these people that are on social media and the ones that are like, actively pushing out that they're so successful, so young, I really don't think it's that easy or that put together as it seems. And so as, as easy as it is to see these people and to be motivated by them, it's also a a slippery slope of making sure that you're not too involved in that and pushing Mm -hmm. yourself too hard to these unrealistic expectations. And so in summary, from that long ramble that I had, I think the biggest piece is identifying that everyone around you is going through some sort of modified struggle that might be related or might be completely different from what you're going through. And we're all in this together. And so it's not worth pushing yourself to the edge to where it's, it's too stressful. You're overwhelmed and you're burnt out. 
it's really important to identify the areas where you really need to hone in on and build your life around. And it's easier said than done, but you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see other people living in a, and what you might consider an ideal life and not see the back end things that are going on that probably make that life horrible. <laughs> you brought up a great point. And especially during this time with social media, a lot of people are faking it online and they just want to show people like, oh, I have a great life. But then what goes on behind that picture is really the real authenticity of that person. And I think if you're real with people, people will be real and giving like helping and being there for you. And I wouldn't want to be that person that shows, oh, I have a million dollars, but take off two zeros from that number. And that's really what's happening because that's just, that's the problem with social media is a lot of people are not being who they are. Like I may know the real person, but what they're showing online is not who they are. Well, it's like the Shopify, you know, you see this typical example of drop shipping or all these different things that people are trying to show you big investment I made. And what's kind of scary is it's becoming a thing of people pushing. You can make a thousand percent return on investment when you invest your money. And that should be an initial, like if you're guaranteed or like close, <laughs> yeah. anything above like a 10% return on investment, you should probably run. But yeah. now it's this, we've turned authentic, authentic. I can't say the word. <laughs> I, I don't know why I was struggling with it, but uh, being authentic on social media, it's become kind of a buzzword or mm-hmm. a trendy thing to do. You know, now it's becoming, oh, I went through this struggle. But before it used to be, I'm going through the struggle and that's it. And now it's turned into this like sales offer. You know, I was desperate, desperate. I was homeless. I was blah, blah, blah. And maybe some of it's true, but a lot of it is just this like, false reality that they can mm-hmm. change your life. And so it's it's kind of sad because now authenticity, I can say it, is yeah, it's a big that's a big step for me. I've never been able to say that. Uh it's become this like fake reality that we don't understand. And so it's unfortunate and it's discouraging for business owners or just in general life. Because even in life and family, it's so easy to compare and think people have marriage figured out or they have raising a child figured out or running a business or owning a home, paying our mortgage on time. But there are so many people that like they're in the same boat. <laughs> There's a lot of people. We're all going through the same thing. Some people will share what they're going through. Some people are kind of guarded and hiding it, but you're able to, when you find out and can connect and relate, that's when that bond gets even stronger and you become more stronger and showing people and telling people what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Caleb, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you having me on the show and hopefully I've provided some value to you and your listeners. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.